O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Amen. The Israelites were enslaved in Babylon. After Jerusalem's brutal defeat in 587 BC, Babylon enslaved the leaders and left the survivors to dig through the bones and ashes of the first temple back in Jerusalem. How badly, how deeply the Israelites yearned to hear Jeremiah's prophecy. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. In the ancient world, yearning for a just and righteous king was archetypical. It was something that was yearned for across cultures and literatures, and it's deeply yearned for in Jeremiah's text. And also changing a name was a signifier to say something important has just shifted, like when Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. Jeremiah here is foretelling of a just and righteous king. He dreams of Judah's deliverance from the cruel Babylonians. He envisions a peaceful, a safe, a just Jerusalem. He yearns for a righteous Savior. Friends, welcome to Advent, my favorite season of the church year. Theologian Gary Charles says, The stories of Advent are dug from the harsh soil of human struggle and the littered landscape of dashed dreams. They are told from the vista where sin still reigns supreme and hope has gone on vacation. In other words, Advent sounds an awful lot like the kind of faith you need to get through multiple pandemics. Faith, you could say, is living in reality by virtue of God's promise. Faith is living in reality by virtue of God's promise. And so Advent prepares us for the coming of a king. But what kind of king do we seek? Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth challenges the economic and political powers of his time and he speaks truth to that power and lands on the cross. Was he a revolutionary king in search of a political uprising? Or was he talking about a revolution of the heart? Pastor Kevin Powell asks, So which is it, an upheaval of the social order or an overhaul of one's life? Is it justice for the oppressed or forgiveness for sinners? Does the gospel bring peace on earth or does it heal the sin-sick soul? Yes. I think Jesus promises both, and actually more, which creates both the shock and the power of the gospel. 
gospel is revolutionary good news because Jesus promises self-transformation through the power of God's grace. And he also calls for models and yearns for a just and peaceful society based on love over and against correcting and contesting unregulated self-interest. Consider today's gospel. Jesus says, People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. And this is apocalyptic Jesus. So I do want to say, if this is your first Sunday at All Saints, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Sorry about the gospel. It's really intense and a little bit disorienting. But actually, it's powerful. And I want to to jump into it with you. But first, I want to digress. How come we never have an Advent pageant? All right, kids, this year we're ditching the sheep and the angels. Uh, We'll need signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's great. And okay, cue the rising of the seas and the waves. Now, show me with your eyes. Dissipation and drunkenness and worries of this life. And all together now, faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. So I have it on good authority that Kathy and Carol could pull this off, but it would be challenge. So how do we make sense of this difficult text from Luke? I think this is where Advent gets particularly interesting, because so many of us think of Advent as just preparing for the Christ child, which is part of it, but only part of it. I think the fuller way to understand Advent is to proclaim that we are waiting for Jesus to come in history, mystery, and majesty. History refers to the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who almost everyone agrees, across scholars and perspectives and religions, almost everyone agrees he was a real person who lived about the turn of the Common Era and was almost certainly crucified by Pontius Pilate for some kind of uprising against Rome. In first century Palestine, we believe he showed us how to live and how to love abundantly. And in this light, we prepare our hearts for Isaiah's glorious news often misquoted on Christmas decorations, that a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is to be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what of mystery? I believe that Jesus comes to us every day in mysterious ways. Jesus is present as he promises whenever two or three are gathered in his name. In the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers, I believe that Jesus' ministry is active in the world, through you and me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's where Christmas goes from quaint tradition to radical good news the greatest gift the world has ever known, that God continues to be incarnate, alive, present, in the flesh, here, now. Advent is our yearly reminder, like a pink sticky note on your calendar, that God is doing a new thing again. We also wait for Christ to come in majesty, to reveal all things, to make a new heaven and a new earth. Here we find one of the great questions of the New Testament, which is, exactly when can we expect Jesus to return? And when Christ does come again to draw all things onto himself, what will that look like? Clearly, the New Testament writers feel a great deal of anxiety around this question. They 
walk around half expecting rapture before lunch. Mark writes his gospel shortly after the second temple is destroyed, probably around 70 years after the first Christmas. And you can tell that he expects the end times any minute. He says, Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. That's Mark's take on it. And Luke quotes him verbatim in today's gospel. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Remember that Mark is one of Luke's primary source texts. So many of the stories that happen in Mark happen verbatim in Luke and also in slightly different ways in Matthew. But sometimes Luke makes editorial changes, and that's fascinating. Probably because he is writing later, I think Luke concludes that it may be some time until Jesus' return. So I'm convinced that's why Luke edits, for example, Mark's Beatitudes. Mark says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. But what does Luke say? Blessed are the poor. Do you see the difference? Blessed are the poor as opposed to blessed are the poor in spirit. It seems we're going to have to live together for a minute. So Luke wants us to actually care for the actual people who are actually poor. So the Beatitudes are no metaphor. Jesus is talking politics and money, love and concern for the poor. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. If Advent is truly about watching and waiting, which I think it is, it's not only about preparing our hearts for the birth of the Christ child, important as that is, it already happened. Advent is also about watching and waiting for the not yet reign of God. We are thus called to a hopeful expectation that Jesus Christ will draw all things unto himself and restore creation to God's preferred and promised future for the world, God's dream for the world. And here's the rub. Advent waiting is no passive act. Ultimately, we are called to watch and wait and partner with the Holy Spirit who is participating in God's work in the world. God is already doing a new thing, and it's our job to participate in that. I'm talking about the kind of hope you see as a pregnant couple awaits their child. I don't know about you, I don't know too many pregnant couples who find out they're expecting and then just do nothing and twiddle their thumbs for nine months. No, they're breaking down the doors for the doorbuster deals for good for, for Black Friday to get the strollers and the crib and set the nursery and choosing a name. They're watching and waiting and working in hopeful expectation. Or maybe think about the way a team of doctors and nurses and surgeons and technicians and family members hope and wait and pray in the ICU. Or as you and I hope and wait and pray for the deepest yearnings of our own lives. So what are we to do in this Advent faith? First, may we live well here and now. I love how Mary Oliver says it. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. We just spent a week giving thanks, and gratitude is surely a practice for the living of these days. In fact, it has been shown to change our physiology, to just simply name things for which we are grateful. Advent calls us at once to be present where we are and to keep awake, looking expectantly toward God's preferred and promised future. 
Second, let's acknowledge that we do not know when or how God's realm will be made complete. One of the great challenges of apocalyptic literature like today's gospel is that we're not reading a weather forecast with a timeline. Okay, it's uh, cloudy with the chance of apocalypse. Should be a nice afternoon and have a great weekend. It's not that. It's rather that these stories reflect on God's powerful acts in the past to frame how we might live now in the present. God has moved in a mighty way. God sent us a Savior to show us how to live and to love. And this Jesus today calls us to stand up and raise our heads to watch expectantly for God's reign. And third, may we strive with the power of the Holy Spirit who is doing God's work in the world for God's kingdom. We may not know what is to come, but we do know who is to come. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed and appointed one of God. And so what does it mean to stay awake, to raise our heads, to be outposts for the kingdom of this Jesus. We read it in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, so I tell you, you did it unto me. That is the realm of God when the Son of Man, seated in majesty, shows us God's dream for the world. So, Advent blessings, my friends. May we watch expectantly like Jeremiah May we wait patiently like Mary. May we partner with the Holy Spirit to be difference makers in this neighborhood. For already we have been shown the way and the truth and life. And though we have not yet realized Jesus' promise, we do know God's dream for the world. And we do know that God has given each of us, you and me, great work to do. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, come to thee, O Israel. Amen.